1: It is Thursday, February 2nd, and this is People Every Day. Happy Groundhog's Day listeners, or maybe not so happy since Puxitani Phil just told us we have six more weeks of winter. Doesn't bother me all that much, though. I live in California. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, I'm your host, Janine Rubenstein, and I cannot wait to chat with you all today. We've got a great show planned, and it includes a long chat with Trevor Noah and Grammy producer Ben Winston about Noah's hosting duties and what to expect from the awards show this week. But before that, we'll be joined by the chief medical officer at VeryWell Health, Dr. Jessica Shepherd, who will be telling us all about the trendiest so-called weight loss drug of the moment. Such exciting guests and, and so much going on today. So let's jump right in. So as you know, yesterday, Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterback Tom Brady sang a familiar tune and announced his retirement from professional football, assuring fans that this time his exit from the NFL is for real. Of course, this left many to speculate whether this announcement might finally lead to a reconciliation or at least some closure with his ex-wife Giselle Buncheon. But for Giselle, that door seems to be closed and locked. Yesterday, a source close to the supermodel told people that Giselle is happy for Tom but that she, quote, moved on with her life a long time ago. And perhaps this is because, according to another source close to the couple, Brady's return to the NFL following his last retirement announcement was, quote, far from the only issue in their marriage. The inside source went on to suggest that one of the underlying issues in the marriage of Brady and Buncheon was that she wanted to keep things positive and that he brought a certain amount of negativity to the relationship. Since Tom and Giselle still share two kids, Benjamin Rain and Vivian Lake, they will always be in each other's lives, but it seems that for now, Giselle is happy for her relationship with Tom to be as co-parents and nothing more. And speaking of celebrity children, more and more of them are starting to speak out about the pressure of growing up in the shadow of their famous parent. And yesterday, Priscilla Presley's son, Navrin Garcia, added his voice to that conversation, breaking his silence after attending the memorial of his half-sister, Lisa Marie Presley, at Graceland in January. Garcia told people that, "...people know about me, but they don't know me." Garcia is the product of Priscilla's relationship with music producer Marco Garibaldi, and he admits that he has been in and out of the spotlight throughout his life, in large part due to who his mother is. Unfortunately for him, that meant dealing with a lot of situations that made him uncomfortable. As he told people, I got in trouble more than everybody else because kids' parents would find out who my mom was and they'd want a reason to talk to her. Unfortunately, that pressure, coupled with a father who saw him more as a drinking buddy than a son, led Garcia to turn to hard drugs. He ended up addicted to fentanyl, a synthetic opioid that is 50 times stronger than heroin. It wasn't until 2020 that he got clean, in part so he could visit his now wife, Elisa, whom he married in 2022, in her home country of Switzerland. Of the experience, he said, When COVID happened, I buckled down and said, let's see how bad this can get. Well, now Navrin is clean and making music. His band, Them Guns, has a new single coming out on Friday. It's called Acid Plane. And I'm so happy to hear his life is flying in the right direction. Of course, we all know the dangers of hard drugs. But lately, there is a prescription drug that has been making headlines. And despite the fact that it is a life-saving drug for many people, we're learning a lot more about those using it for other purposes. The diabetes drug Ozempic has been all over my timeline lately. It seems like a lot of celebrities are using it, but the questions here are why are they using it? Are they using it for the right reasons? And what are the results, both intended and unintended? Let's break this all down. Joining me now to do just that is Chief Medical Officer at Verywell Health, Dr. Jessica Shepard. Hey, Jessica, welcome back. Hi. First things first, what is Ozempic and what is it supposed to be used for? Now,
0: if we look at studies from a scientific perspective, this was actually a medication also known as semaglutide, which was for diabetes. So type 2 diabetes, really looking at how we're going to decrease those sugar levels and make insulin more available. But what they also did find is that there was weight loss that they got from the studies, which that now became the primary thing of what you're seeing now with people today who don't have diabetes and are trying to take this medication.
1: Goodness, but what about the poor people that actually need this drug for their diabetes, right? I mean, it's taken on a whole different life and you're kind of not paying attention to them. But let's talk about the folks who are are taking to it, the ones we hear about, our celebrities, right? So Chelsea Handler is one star who talked about using Ozempic, but she claimed she didn't know she was on it, right? She said, my anti-aging doctor, I need to get one of those. <laughs> my anti-aging doctor just Hands it out to anybody. You just get it like as a handout? Well, I love that she kind of like flipped it back on the
0: doctor. She was like, Well, it was given out to me. But I think that's where the conversation really comes when you go to your healthcare provider is what are you giving this to me for? How does it work? And am I the prime candidate for this type of medication? So I will say that sometimes when patients come into the office and we're discussing something, it may go way over their head because it's just not enough information or it's too granular, it's too scientific. And so then there becomes this interpretation of what was said and how it was understood. On the flip side, I think when looking at Ozempic, you know, knowing that she doesn't have type 2 diabetes, and if she does, well, that would be new to me, is that giving a medication that's specifically for diabetes and and then also seeing that you're losing a lot of weight, that's where it kind of gets a little bit confusing on how she may not have known. But at the end point, now that she does know, is understanding how important it is to have these conversations with your doctor about knowing exactly what you're on and why. Got it. And it is an injectable, right? Now, the first form of the medication is the injection form is where you have an injection weekly, and then you can start at a low dose and move that up until you kind of get to where you need to be, whether that's with decreasing your sugar or getting the weight loss outcome that you're looking for. But there actually was an FDA approved, and this was late last year, of the oral form of a glucone like peptide, which is the GLP drug that it is, and that can be used in a pill form.
1: Well, there are many side effects people may experience using Ozempic, right? And those are bubbling to the surface nowadays. Nausea appears to be one of the most common ones, which causes people to not have an appetite, which leads to weight loss. And Remy Bader, who is a content creator, said that she used the drug for health reasons. And then when she got off of it, she binge ate and gained all the weight back then some. So do you think this is spiraling into a real problem? I think this is kind of the problem you see with any type of weight
0: loss medication is that the habit has to change. Now, you can have the drug do amazing things, which is what we've seen. But really what we do see is, and this is all throughout what we've seen in the science of diet, whether it's through surgery or medication, is that when you come off of... The medication or when you are finished with the complete weight loss from, say, a weight loss surgery is that most people, I mean, it's in the high percentiles of like 70 to 80 percent of people will usually regain, if not all, a good percentage of the weight that they were prior. And the reason that this is, is because a lot of
1: habits haven't been changed. Yeah, it's like the story of every diet fad. It's like, yeah, it'll work for a second, <laughs> but guess what? Like, unless you keep that up for the rest of your life, you're going to have to change something else. Well, before I let you go, I have to ask, uh, what is ozempic face? I mean, Kyle Richards is speaking out against claims that she has Ozympic face. What is it? So, you know, when you
0: do have significant amount of weight that's lost in a short amount of time, Obviously, that's going to be rapid weight loss, which is contributing to fat being gone from parts of your body, including your face. And when you have this sudden decrease of weight, you are going to have this kind of gaunt look. And also, as you age, you lose a lot of collagen, elastin, and all of the things that make your skin kind of like really taut and tense. And so a lot of people who are on this may be of an older, more golden age. And so they already have the decrease in collagen plus the loss in fat. And that's where you're really seeing these dramatic changes and sagging in faces. But that's... It's not new to just
1: Ozempic. Goodness. Well, I mean, I hope ultimately that there's a way that people who really, really need them, people who are diabetic, can get them. There's such a craze around this. I can only imagine that that is cutting off the supply for actual diabetic people. It has completely shut it off. And I think that's where we
0: need to find the balance because I think we need to prioritize the people who really are getting the medical benefit from it. They should be prioritized. For sure. This
1: has been so informative. Dr. Shepard, thanks for breaking this all down with me. Glad to be here. Coming up, we are joined by comedian Trevor Noah and producer Ben Winston to talk about one of my favorite award shows, the Grammys, baby. Trevor Noah is hosting, and he and Ben are going to get real with you about what you might see during your award show party. But first, the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City reunion is well underway, and the tea is hot, hot, hot hot last night, it was revealed that Jen Shaw asked her co-stars for money to help pay the legal fees for that ongoing court case in which she was accused of money laundering and wire fraud. Of course, we know she pled guilty and was sentenced to multiple years. So we will have all of that and more for you in just a minute. Well, it's that time of year for Real Housewives of Salt Lake City fans reunion season. And last night, part two very much became the Jen Shaw show after a bomb was dropped about the financial strain that her legal troubles have caused. That bomb, the fuse of which was lit by ever eager host Andy Cohen, was that Jen had been asking her co-stars to help pay the legal fees for her ongoing court case. As a reminder, she recently pled guilty to having a role in a telemarketing and fraud scheme, a crime for which she was sentenced to six and a half years in prison. But did her co-stars actually help her out? Short answer, yes. As Shah's ride-or-die BFF shared on the reunion last night, I did not give them money, but I know people on this couch did. They asked people for money. It was very expensive, and a lot of people came money. And none of you money. guys
2: gave it to them, did did. I did
1: it didn't because money. our counsel said we probably shouldn't. Got I, it. I, otherwise, Can't. I would have. I was ready Enough. to. Though it was not revealed who exactly did contribute to Shah's legal fees, Andy Cohen pushed back hard on another point, whether or not Shah's guilty plea was to protect her husband. And though he didn't get a direct answer, several of Shaw's co-stars admitted to considering that there might be more to this story than the prison-bound housewife is telling. As you've gathered by now, awards season is fully underway, and one of my all-time favorite shows is approaching. The 65th annual Grammy Awards is right around the corner, and I cannot wait. The nominations were announced late last year, and Queen Bee leads the pack with nine noms. Rapper Kendrick Lamar follows closely with eight, while Adele and Brandi Carlisle each are tied with seven. And if that wasn't enough to secure your need to watch, I know this will. The beloved newly former host of The Daily Show, Trevor Noah is returning to host music's biggest night. Well, just your luck, Trevor Noah is taking time off from his fun employment to be here with me now, along with Grammy's executive producer, Ben Winston, to give a lowdown on what to expect from this year's show. Hey, Trevor. Hey, Ben. Welcome. Hello, hello, hello. Well, Trevor, you are no stranger to the Grammy stage, and this will be your third consecutive time as the Master of Ceremonies. So, since... Leaving The Daily Show, the world is really your oyster right now. What sealed the deal for you this go-round within seeing the Grammys again?
2: Well, the first and most important thing, working with Ben Winston. I've really enjoyed working with him over the years, you know, from the time we worked together in South Africa. And I think it's just in life, you can't always control what's going to happen to you, but you can control who it happens with oftentimes. And then from there, I mean, it's a lot easier to say yes when you see who's going to be on the Grammys and you see... Everybody from Beyonce to Adele to Lizzo to Bad Bunny to Harry Styles, everybody competing for album of the year, you know, in a year where Beyonce might break the record for most awarded individual, not even just artist or performer of all time. I mean, why would you not want to be a part
3: of that?
1: Well, for you, Ben, what makes Trevor just the best in Hollywood for the
3: job? It makes my job so much easier. You just got someone who, front of camera, just has it, has the audience in the palm of their hand, makes them laugh, is clearly a big fan of music and everyone in the room. And it's part of the reason I like doing it every year is because I have him as my partner on it. So it's a really exciting show to do. It's a very stressful show to do. You're doing three and a half hours of live TV with biggest stars in the world, doing their biggest performances of the year. Each of them comes with however many people there are. And backstage, you've got 5,000 people running around with like, two minutes till they're on air. And then you've got this calm (laughs) persona in Trevor, who's just makes the audience just feel like they're in for a lovely night of fun and entertainment.
1: Last year, Silk Sonic traveled back to the 70s and Billie Eilish made it rain on stage, literally. And BTS, I mean, BTS. So (laughs) Trevor, what can you tease? What can you give us?
2: So I'm not allowed to say anything, but this is what (laughs) I will say. One of your favorite performers is a woman and that woman is going to be performing at the Grammys. Then one of your other favorite performers is a man. And that man is going to be performing <laughs> at the Grammys. And you're going, oh, but that could be anyone. But you know it's not anyone, though, because you've been listening to their album the whole year. I am picking at what you are
1: putting down. Thank you very much for that. So, Ben, I'm going to ask you, what is it like backstage with this guy? I, I, he doesn't vibe to me as the, like, I need all red M&Ms and, like, you know, my ice no, water flown no, in from no, Nova Scotia
3: not. type of, of host. No, he's definitely not. He's very, very easygoing, very, very laid back. And it's just soaking it in, really. We both feel like that. Raj Kapoor is our showrunner, and it's—we've it's, all feel very lucky to be doing this job. I always feel like if it was an auction prize to stand in a room for three days and have the best artists in the world rehearse and perform, and you got to film them with like twenty cameras and you know, like craft a performance with them. Can you imagine what that auction prize would be? I mean, it's like <laughs> that's how I sometimes think that we've got to think about these jobs, and I think we both feel very lucky to be there.
1: Oh, I love it. And this is another step behind the mic for you. Of course, we watched you behind the TV desk for a while, Trevor. For not long enough, in my opinion, but <laughs> you are back on stage. How has that been? How has freeing yourself been to do the mic stuff?
2: It's been really fun. I was doing stand-up all the years that I've been at The Daily Show, but now it's different in that I have a little more time to soak in the cities that I'm visiting. I have a little more time to be present and explore. It's not in and out anymore. And it's no different for the Grammys, funny enough. It used to be that I would have to rush in, really cram everything in, do the Grammys, and then, and then leave immediately. And, and now I, I get to soak it in a little bit more. I get to enjoy the experience both before and afterwards without thinking about a show that I have to create.
1: I feel like you were just bumping Beyonce's album, and that line, "I quit my job, you won't break my soul," came on, and you just <laughs> <living> your <best laughs> life. you're just living your best life. <laughs> uh,
2: I truly am. I truly, truly am. What was your album this year? What was the one? Everyone asks that, but I'd be lying to you if I said I listened to albums anymore. I listened to songs. And sometimes I listen to every song from an album like many other people out there. I feel like I have my favorite playlists of the year. And so I've enjoyed everything that's come out this year, everything from DJ Khaled and Jay Z and and what they did together. And I've loved Kendrick's work. And to your point, yes, Beyonce was a soundtrack of my life. Harry Styles followed me around everywhere I went. So in many ways, the Grammys is always a, a wonderful celebration of the soundtrack of your year. The ups, the downs, the highs, the lows, the joys and the sadnesses. That's really what I'm looking forward to is celebrating that live. And I think that's the key thing for me is, you know, they're not canned performances. They're not something that was just like phoned in. It's happening live and people yeah. should never take for granted how hard it is to perform live and how stressful it is for a performer to perform live in front of their peers and some of the greatest who have ever done it.
1: Well, you guys are getting me excited. Then, when it comes to people watching... We know the musical performances and all that, but what is the je ne sais quoi about the Grammys above all of the other award shows?
3: I think it's always the lineup. I think you both see incredible artists that you love, but also you discover new artists. I remember the first time Brandi Carlisle was on the show and people were discovering her four or five years ago and how impactful that was, or even Black Pumas a couple of years back and what a moment that was for them. It's really funny. I was thinking about this the other way. I went to the Forum and watched Harry Styles play and... 30,000 people were there and I would say 20,000 of them were wearing a feather boa. And he's only ever worn a feather boa once. And that was for three minutes at the beginning of the Grammys. And what's amazing is that one performance at the Grammys can mean that wherever he goes now, two years later around the world, a feather boa has become his thing. Elton John's probably going, what the heck is going on? I wore that for years and now suddenly Harry's nicked it. But it's the impact that a Grammys performance can have. There's very few times where people can come together outside of sport really and enjoy something at the same time at the same moment and that will be Sunday at the Grammys.
1: And I'm so excited you guys. Thank you so much for giving me all of this tea on the Grammys. I'm so excited to watch. You guys have a good one.
2: Take care. Thank you so much.
1: Well, we all know that 60 is the new 40, right? But for 80-year-old actor Harrison Ford, who is currently working on not one, but two television shows, 77 is as sexy as it gets. Last night, the shrinking and 1923 actor went on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert to talk about being a working actor and an octogenarian, but... Colbert really wanted to know one thing, if Harrison Ford had ever made out with his 1923 co-star Dame Helen Mirren. Ford was suspiciously silent after Colbert's question, prompting Colbert to jump in and say, I asked because I have made out with Helen Mirren. Uh, first time I ever met her. She came on and plants a wet one on me. I was paralytic for about five minutes. <laughs> well, Ford still wasn't willing to kiss and tell, but he did admit that Mirren, who he had previously worked with on the 1986 thriller Mosquito Coast, was, quote, still sexy, and he said it as only he can. Let's listen.
3: Sexy and still sexy. It's amazing. Oh. She's still sexy. She said, you ever... Uh... Thank
1: <laughs> And you know what, Harrison Ford? I agree. Dame Helen Mirren is still sexy. Ford went on to talk about his co-star's work ethic and acting chops, describing how she, quote, jumps right into the scenes that require a lot of physical movement, even at age 77. I absolutely love it. Age really is just a number, and I hope Ford and Mirren's fabulous working relationship was a little something to make you smile as well. So with that, I have to say goodbye to you for today. But Friday is the best day of the week, and we'll have another one- wonderful show coming at you. So make sure to come hang out with us again tomorrow here on People Every Day.